0: In this episode of Real Christianity, I'm going to be talking about three biblical actions that every Christian can take during Pride Month. All that coming up right now. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Real Christianity. As you probably know, this is an audio and video ministry of relearn.org. Today, as I mentioned in the cold open, we're going to be talking about the three biblical actions to take during Pride Month. One thing I wanted to mention before we get started is I have the newest edition, if you're watching the video here of this episode, the newest edition of The Manliness of Christ. This is an updated and revised edition. I've added a new chapter called The Sin of Effeminacy. I've also added a foreword by my good friend, Eric Kahn. And it's a new, uh, we actually uh, updated the uh, typeset so that it's actually a bigger book, um, more pages. Uh, We've done some edits. It's a strong purchase for Father's Day. And Father's Day is coming up. If you're listening to this episode live, it's a great gift to get for your man, for your brother, for your husband, for your son, for your grandson. So if you're listening, I'd love for you to check out uh, the new updated version of the manliness of Christ. and This version as of right now is only available on Amazon and it's available in print worldwide. So if you go to Amazon, you can get yourself a copy. All right, so I wanna talk to you about the issues of Pride Month that are facing average ordinary Christians uh, across the globe. This isn't something that's happening only in the West. This is obviously happening Uh, in Australia, parts of Europe, uh, Canada, South America. So this is a coordinated issue around the globe. So for the next 30 days, the world will be saturated what I call the rainbow Ramadan, right? Ramadan is the Islam uh, practice of a 30-day prayer and fasting, but this is really the gay community's version of that. It's a 30-day celebration of debauchery. And Christians are going to be forced to shield their eyes of their children, uh, you know, shop at different stores, uh, you know, hide them from pride parades, and uh, you know, keep them away from the sodomy and the sexual deviancy that is all over the place during the month of June. Now, companies, we know, government agencies, sports teams, celebrities are all going to be bowing down to the LGBT sex god. This is what we're seeing. Every uh, every year, actually, if you've seen that funny meme of the black gentleman that's hiding behind the tree, uh, there's a, a version of that, and he's wearing a rainbow suit. And it said, uh, woke companies excited for June 1st. And it was like May 31st on the top. This is what they do. They're excited to promote this sinful, sodomy, uh, perversion, distortion of sexuality for 30 days. And they do so because they know that they will win more dollars from a particular group of people because Christians stay silent. So what are Christians to do? Uh, What lessons can we learn uh, from this season? How can we think biblically about this idea of, quote, Pride Month? So in this episode, I'm going to be rattling off just three brief points to help you stand boldly for Christ, not violate your conscience through silence which happens far too often, and how to dispense gospel truth to the gay community. Okay, so I'm gonna give you three points. Number one, number one is love condemns sin. Now in a world of hyper-normalizing homosexuality, uh, we need to be regularly reminded that homosexuality is not normal. It's common, but it's not normal. Uh, It's not acceptable, it's not respectable, and it is clearly condemned by God in the scriptures. Leviticus 20.13 says, quote, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. So if we say that it's not absolutely wicked, deserving of some degree of punishment, according to scripture at this time to the God's old covenant people, it was Worth capital punishment of death. We need to realize that that is essentially the uh, the position of God on the matter. Uh, I, I was reading an article, or maybe it was actually just some Twitter feeds, but it was talking about how prior to 1962, the vast majority of the United States sodomy was illegal, and the vast majority—I don't know—maybe it was like 45 of the 50 states. And prior uh, to that. It was even uh, dealing with capital offenses in a handful of states. And so it's not that long ago that we were dealing with sodomy according to scripture in the sense of having punishments and crimes, uh, breaking of laws to have a man sleeping with another man. Jude seven says, quote, "'Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality,' and pursued unnatural desire. Serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire, end quote. First Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, another passage says, quote, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, end quote, so ultimately, scripture demonstrates that it's loving to define and condemn sin. Uh, we know this, right? It's loving to define and condemn stealing. That's a great thing to teach to our children, like we want to we want to define it, and we want to condemn it. Uh, it's loving to. Define and condemn lying. It's loving and uh, to define and condemn uh, murder or adultery or pedophilia. It's loving to do these things. Uh, therefore it's certainly loving to define and condemn homosexuality because a great way to love your neighbor is to tell them what God defines as sin. I mean, this is something that I often say around the abortion issue. Uh, It's a great way to love your neighbor is to create laws and vote for candidates and uh, uphold the conversation that a woman should not kill her baby. And so it's a loving thing to define and condemn what God says is sin. So during this month, when society is hellbent on the gayification of absolutely everything. Uh, Again, I saw another meme. I'm just going to talk about it because it was so funny. It's like a kid from 1990s and he's in like a laser tag spot. There's all these lasers and he has to get through all these lasers and he's on all fours. And it says, you know, me trying to buy something that's not gay in 2023. And it's this truth that almost every brand and every company changes their logos. And it's this absurd reality. And so it's Christians duty during this month, especially to define and declare homosexuality and its other perverted expressions as sinful, wicked, detestable acts that will lead to a life of what? Well, a life of pain and misery and ultimately a life eternally in hell. And so we need to be willing to have those conversations. So that's point number one is that love condemns sin. It's willing to condemn sin. Number two. I called Lessons from Globo Homo. All right, yesterday, a pastor from Washington, D.C. posted a picture of the rainbow flag flying high in front of the J. Edgar Hoover building, which is the FBI headquarters. And my friend, Josh Dawes, commented on the photo saying something quite brilliant. I thought I would read it to you. He says, quote, the first thing conquerors do once they overtake a country is to hoist their flag, end quote. Isn't that the truth? We have these gay flags, absolutely dominating public squares in big cities across the world. And this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to display their dominance of that particular area. And so during a period when Christians might feel disheartened that uh, you know our nation is irreversibly lost to paganism, there's a vital lesson for us to grasp here as Christians. In just one generation, with just less than 3% of the population, our country, uh, the LGBT community has absolutely dominated the nation. It only took that long, less than 3% of the population um, in about 30 to 40 years, really uh, in terms of an active push. But this, this means that biblical Christians who make up, you know currently the stats say around 60% of of america identifies as christian but i'm going to say that about half of that really identify with a biblical worldview so so you have 35% 30% of america that's a ginormous number that has an absolute reality of taking back the dominating influence in our country in just 30 to 40 years but we have to stop quiet christianity we have to stop Costless Christianity. Uh, It's something that that has got us into the position that we are. And if we don't take on this fight, you're essentially handing this battle down to your children and grandchildren. And so it's going to simply require an entire generation of Christian parents who will raise godly children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, These are kids who need to understand biblical marriage and are ready to defend with eloquence and accuracy, theological accuracy, biblical gender, sexuality, and marriage. We grew up in a generation, if you're in your 30s or 40s, that didn't require such theological literacy and depth as a child. But this generation is dealing with a perversion and distortion of the truth at a greater degree at a younger age. And so we need to be catechizing our kids to basically spot the counterfeits when they arise in their life. By the age of five, the average child will see over 100 perversions of sex, marriage, and gender. From Disney to the public square, distortion on these matters surrounds us. Now, the best way to protect your children is to affirm them in the biblical order for gender and marriage. For that reason, I wrote a children's book called Jesus and My Gender, Affirming Your Child's God-Given Gender. It's a rhyming book for children ages three to 10, and each page is supported by scripture references. At the end of the book, I even include a five-question biblical catechism to instill these truths in the minds of young children. Get your copy today at relearn.org forward slash gender. Again, that's relearn.org forward slash gender. And so more than that, It requires Christians to essentially reassert Christianity, the truth of scripture to every dimension of life, proclaiming that Christ is King. And so what I'm talking about is taking Christ into the public square. I actually talked about, I might still write this book. I actually wrote maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15 pages. And I've just kind of left it in my Google docs, but I've thought about writing a book called Coming Out as Christian how to proclaim Christ in the public square. So I'll probably write that at some point, Um, but we need to bring Christianity outside of the church into education and entertainment and politics and economics and into the arts and into the media, essentially declaring that Christ is king over all of it. Uh, Abraham Kuyper once said, quote, there is not a square inch in the whole universe which Christ does not cry mine. End quote you know Jesus said that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth and in addition to that he says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the gospel we have to see that that image is that the gospel, the, go, or the the gates of hell is on the defensive and that the church is on the offensive kicking in the gates of hell i heard Joel Webbin talk recently about the gospel being the battering ram that's kicking in the gates of hell. And Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And so we have to recognize that if all authority has been given to Christ, North America is Christ. The West is Christ. Uh, Europe is Christ. And we Americans here in the US uh, are Christ's body in this place, we are his representatives, we are his flock. Uh, And we must fight for righteousness with greater passion than the LGBT community fights for their sin. This is a key factor because so many, the reason that companies modify themselves for the LGBT community is because the LGBT community is more willing to fight for their sin than Christians are willing to fight for the truth that is absolutely the problem. Quiet, costless Christianity is continuing to be overpowered by people who are willing to speak about lies more than we are willing to speak and defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number three, no law, no repentance. Okay, so we live in a time where most Christians proclaim an impotent gospel. Uh, Because many believers reject the doctrines of grace or AKA Calvinism, uh, they believe that salvation is about persuasion of a person's quote, free will. Um, When you have that, essentially you believe that coming to faith is about persuasion rather than the sovereignty of God over salvation through the proclamation of the gospel. And as a result, what happens? Well, people become winsome. Uh, They become persuasive. And this is how we got the pragmatic church movement where you get a lion and smoke machines and a rock band on the stage in hopes that you might persuade people to Jesus. And when you become winsome, people tend to eliminate the bad news, which makes the good news so good. And what they do is they refrain from telling people about God's law. They refrain from telling people about God's law. And more than that, they refrain from telling people about their inability to keep that law, their guilty standing before that law, and the eternal consequences of breaking that law. This is probably the most absent piece of the modern gospel today. You see, when you fail to tell people the bad news, the bad news that God's moral law has jurisdiction over their life because they are creatures made by the creator and that they are guilty of breaking that law. What we do as Christians, as people, is we compare ourselves to the moral standing of another person. Well, I'm better than that guy. When reality, we should be comparing ourselves to the standard of God for righteousness, which is his moral law. And when you look at the 10 commandments, you quickly realize that you cannot keep them, that you've broken all of them and that you, uh, maybe not all of them because not everybody's a murderer, but we do know that Jesus talks about hatred in the heart is a similar sin. But what I'm saying is that when you compare yourself to God's moral law, you realize that you fall short Quickly. And this is important in the preaching of the gospel. Uh, When you fail to tell people the bad news of their guilt and shame before the jurisdiction of God's moral law, the good news is really no longer impressive. That is, that when sinners don't see the gravity of their own sinfulness, they cannot appreciate the righteousness of a Savior. They cannot appreciate the desperate need that they have to be found righteous. And they want a way to get that righteousness. And the only way to make an unrighteous person righteous is to receive an alien righteousness. You need to receive a righteousness from someone who has kept the law that will give you their righteousness. And this is what Jesus Christ does through faith. He pays for your sin as your substitute, dying on your behalf. And then gives you his righteous record of perfectly keeping the law through faith. The terror of the law is what drives people to grace. This is what the Bible teaches. You always see the apostles preaching the law, making sure that nobody believes that they can earn salvation through obedience or morality or righteous works. Because once you've broken the law, once, You are guilty of it all, Uh, James. Man, I I can't think of the verse, but James two ten I think is what it is. Uh, He who has broken the law at one point is guilty of all of it. And so, even if you never broke the law one time in your entire life, and then at age seventy four you broke the law, that one break of the law will make you unrighteous for eternity. You need an alien righteousness. Now, I believe that we have original sin. The sin that's imputed to us from birth. We don't, uh, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're born sinners. And so there's a lot there, but the law must be preached. This is the normative gospel presentation of the apostles in the scriptures. They would afflict a person with the truth of the law to bring them to their knees in sorrow, shame, and guilt. And then they would present Jesus Christ in whom they can find forgiveness redemption, and imputation of righteousness. And this is how we must communicate to the LGBT community. We have to lovingly tell them of God's law around righteousness on gender and sexuality and marriage. We can't withhold the very thing that produces guilt that leads to repentance. Again, no law, no repentance. And this is what's absent in most of the preaching of the gospel in the modern day. And so remember, it's not about persuasion, it's about proclamation. And when it's God who changes the heart, all you have to worry about is being faithful to talk about the law. And I often tell people, I say, hey, you're a creature, you were made, and you have a maker, and that maker has a law and has a a right to demand how you ought to live. And he's revealed that in the 10 commandments and you've broken that law and you need to be found righteous. That's your great need in humanity is to be found righteous and you need to be forgiven. And so everybody, I feel like uh, my experience with people is that everybody has an understanding that they need, they have something to be forgiven for. They just don't know who they need to be forgiven by. And so there's this conscience that people have that they are struggling with guilt and shame, but they don't know where to put that. And the only way to really remove that guilt and shame is to come to the cross. And so, yes, we need to be passionate and sincere, but we must not rely on our ability to convince a person to come to Christ. Uh, We simply need to present a bad news, good news gospel and allow God to change the heart. So in the end, uh, the Christian hope for pride month is that those who are enslaved to sin around issues of homosexuality and transgenderism, they need to lay that pride at the foot of the cross where Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit can change their affections of their hearts and restore to them a righteous nature. Grace restores nature. God doesn't just change what we do. He actually changes what we want to do. And so we need to be willing to walk in those steps. So again, the steps are love, condemn sin, sin be willing to condemn sin. Uh, number two, we, lessons from Globo Homo, we can easily pull back the clock and bring back the dominating influence over the world and push back this darkness into the corner where they used to be. Now, what I mean by that is this, What people want to do is that these sins that were hidden in the shadows of society a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, what they want to do is they want to be able to sin in the comfort of the noonday sun where everybody can see without shame or guilt, without any condemnation, that's what they want. They want porn in front of your children. They want sodomy and transgenderism and perversion out in front with no condemnation to convince your children and your family that it's normal. No, we need to push that back into its dark hole and tell people that no, Christianity, Christ owns this territory. This world is Christ's and all authority was given to him and you must submit and receive Christ as Lord. And number three, was no law, no repentance. Be sure to incorporate the use of the law, calling people to repentance and showing them their need for righteousness. So hope that that episode was helpful for you guys, giving you practical steps for this month during quote Pride Month and how you as a Christian can really engage on this issue. Now, if you're a regular listener, I would love it if you would leave a podcast review on your app You can tap the stars or you can actually write something. I think we're coming up around 6,000 reviews and those reviews really do help the exposure of this show. People uh, People will search something in their podcast app and we will come up because of those reviews. So I would really appreciate that. On that note, I hope this episode again was edifying for your walk with Christ. My name is Dale Partridge. This is Real Christianity and I'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. Also, would you consider leaving a review? You don't need to write anything, just tap the stars in your podcast app. But if you would write a review, we will read it. Real Christianity is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, and of course, at relearn.org. You can also follow along on social media, just search for relearn.org or Dale Partridge on just about every social media platform. Lastly, if you feel led to support our ministry financially as we fight to bring the church back to the Bible, you can always do that at relearn.org forward slash donate.